pleasure to welcome Dr. Cynthia Miller Idris. You're a professor at American University. You're also the director of the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab, as well as the director of Research Center for University Excellence. And if there is a news outlet, you've been you've written for it, you've contributed to it, you've been pretty much everywhere. So we're very pleased to have you on Local News Live for the first time. So thank you, uh, Dr. Miller Idris, for for contributing and, and coming on. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, I want to get to the first uh, question. You've been studying extremism for, for decades now and have written many articles about it. What is kind of a basic definition of extremism? Well, when you're talking about extremism, typically we're referring to things that are kind of outside the bounds of democracy. So these are uh, ways of thinking that position the world into us versus them or the other group poses an existential threat to your life, your way of being, your future. Um, so you have religious forms of extremism, we have political forms of extremism, but all of them work against the democratic process and pose a danger um, to communities, largely because they also advocate typically, although not everyone, but many of them for violence as a means to achieve the ends they want. So advocating against democracy and promoting violence is kind of the, the core of extremism, it seems like. Yes, yeah, advocating for demo against democracy and, and the core tenets of democracy um, and um, advocating for violence or being willing to support violence and really um, seeing other groups as a threat, as a not just a minor threat, but really like an existential threat that your life will be over if you don't fight against that group. What are some of the recent trends in extremism in the United States and how do they compare maybe to the past, say, 75, 100 years in our country? Yeah, we've always had, or not, you know, always, but we've had a long history of extremist groups in the States. So from the Ku Klux Klan, uh, you know, after slavery, up through uh, Marxist, revolutionary, leftist extremists in the 70s, uh, anti-government extremists, um, as we saw with things like Waco and Ruby Ridge and then Oklahoma City, um, the, the one of the most lethal attacks with 168 people dying there uh, in 1995, that bombing of the federal building. So we have had episodic um, uh, kinds of extremism like that. And then, of course, post 9-11, much more awareness of religious, Islamist or jihadi extremism, uh, uh, which affected European countries in greater numbers, but uh, we also had here. So we've had a long history of it. What we have seen over the last um, couple of decades is that the extremist fringe on the white supremacist and anti-government side, the unlawful militias have been growing, especially since 2008, 2009. So last 12, 13 years. Um, but because authorities were so focused on jihadi or Islamist forms of terrorism after 9-11, um, there really wasn't the proper amount of resources or attention being paid to this other domestic threat. So there's now that's really uh, been turned around. We have a lot more acknowledgement and uh, there's an awareness that the, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, um, DHS under the Trump administration in October of 2020 uh, declared that domestic violent extremism and white supremacist extremism in particular is the most lethal threat now facing the nation. So the trajectory and the trends have shifted and that's where we are right now. Absolutely, what are some of the causes of this trend change that we've seen over the past 12 or 13 years? Well, there's no real formula that explains, just like school shooters, unfortunately, those kinds of tragedies, there's no perfect formula that says, this is how we could predict, you know, someone's going to end up, um, you know, on the violent extremist fringe, but there are some commonalities that underpin a lot of it. And so one is, a feeling of precariousness, 
Um, so people feel less certain, less stable. Um, there's less economic security in the country. There's more, of course, during the pandemic, a lot of health uncertainty. Um, and so people are living in moments where they feel less certain. And we know from research, you know, it's actually not unemployment that drives people to um, extremist groups, for example, but growing up in a household with an unemployed parent does put you at greater risk. So it's the emotional experience of feeling uncertain and being afraid that something could be taken away from you. And so we see that kind of dynamic playing out a lot in this country and globally. So I should say this isn't just a U.S. problem. There's been a 250% increase in far-right terrorism globally over the last five years. So a lot of countries are grappling with this same kind of fringe and backlash. What parts of the world and what does it look like, I guess, in other countries that are experiencing the same thing? Is it comparable to what it looks like in the U.S. or maybe it's a little bit different? Yeah, the, on the white supremacist extremist fringe, it's very similar. In fact, they're globally interconnected. They communicate with each other. Unfortunately, they inspire each other's attacks. We see this kind of live streaming of terror attacks like we saw out of Christchurch, New Zealand, and that was itself inspired by uh, an attack in Oslo that happened 10 years ago this week, actually. So we have you know, those kinds of um, globally interconnected uh, issues on the white supremacist fringe. The anti-government fringe is a little more specific to the US. You do have separatist and seditionist movements in other countries, ethno-nationalist groups um, that do uh, you know, create terrorism. Uh, we see that in Northern Ireland or in Spain where you might have ethno-nationalist or separatist groups, but you don't have the same kind of unlawful militias um, really forming. That's, that is a more uniquely American phenomenon. So there are some important variations that explain that even though, as I said, there's a 250% increase globally, about half of those incidents and half the deaths are in the US. So the US has a bigger problem than other countries. There's some telltale signs, let's say a relative or a friend may be kind of dipping their toes into those extremist ideologies. Are there any telltale signs they may be doing that? There definitely are, especially so for young people, one of the things that's happened in the growth in far-right extremism among young people has been fueled in part by um, the far right, and I say the far right includes both the anti-government fringe and the white supremacist fringe, but also male supremacist groups like incels, they call them, they attack groups of women and mass violence. We've seen that at a sorority and a yoga studio and in a van attack in Toronto in recent years. So there's a wide variety of kind of supremacist kinds of thinking um, that aren't only white supremacy. Um, so we have, um, you know, some telltale signs where those groups have kind of weaponized youth culture and they turn everything into a joke. So there's a lot of memes that um, minimize or deny the Holocaust, for example, um, that compare, I don't even want to say it, but parts of the Holocaust to putting a pizza in the oven. You know, so one of the things I've heard from parents a lot is that they'll hear their kids, their teens or young adults saying something like that. And then when they ask them about it, they say, oh, it's just a joke, you know, don't be such a triggered snowflake. You know, um, you know, everybody says it, everybody shares that meme. And there can be a kind of dehumanizing um, effect of that as people become desensitized to racist or misogynist or anti-Semitic kinds of things that are being shared in jokes or memes or videos that are humorous or have satire. And so that's one of the warning signs. If you just hear something like that, then you know that a child or a young adult is being exposed in some of these online spaces. Doesn't mean that they're radicalized or that they're becoming an extremist, but they've encountered it. And we know that some 30% of online gamers, for example, will encounter white supremacist propaganda while they're gaming. So this stuff is out there and they're gonna run into it. Um, and then the question is, are they resilient to it? 
Dr. Miller-Ildris, is there a pattern of uh, changing this in the past, something that maybe people have done, they've stepped in and been able to reverse any previous negative trends towards extremism that maybe we can apply to what we see here today? Yeah, the, the most effective thing is prevention. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, security approaches, the monitoring, the surveillance that's been a traditional hallmark of, of terrorism and extremism one, it infringes on a lot of civil rights, and two, it, um, it is always a Band-Aid solution, right? It's always catching people before they become violent. So we, I work in a research lab where we test a lot of preventative interventions. Um, we have great results showing that you actually, people don't like to find out they're being manipulated. You can teach people about how propaganda works so that when they see it online, they resist it. Um, you can teach them about how conspiracies work, conspiracy theories, they're kind of scaffolds that always look the same. There's always orchestration. There's always, you know, some group of global elites who are manipulating. And you could teach them to recognize some of the signs of that so that when they encounter it, um, they don't fall for it. And, um, you know, and people are, people don't like finding out that somebody else is using them as a pawn in their end game. And so we find that that's a really effective strategy. It's much harder to disengage people once they're already down the rabbit hole of those beliefs. My last question, as someone that studied this for, for so long now, and you, you look back to history, when you look towards the future, where does where we're at right now, I guess, kind of rank in terms of how fearful it makes you? Do you think, okay, this isn't good, but we've seen worse in the past, or are we at a yeah. maybe this is kind of at the peak that it's ever been, and we need to make some real progress, or potentially somewhere in between? I would say probably somewhere in between. So okay. 2020 saw more acts of terrorism domestically in the U.S. than in any year since 1994. So we are, we are at a peak in many different ways. We're at a peak for this generation. Um, and we're at a peak, um, you know, in, in this social media era. And, uh, and we are seeing the widespread, uh, you know, um, circulation of disinformation and propaganda in ways that you know, I think are, should, should raise red flags and should make people be very concerned along with record-breaking gun sales and ammunition shortages and, you know, and people who are emerging from a really hard year and a half um, and are on the edge, you know, so we're seeing road rage incidents and just very difficult um, polarization. And so it's a, uh, it's a country on edge that is heavily armed, being exposed to a lot of propaganda and disinformation, and that's a kind of perfect storm um, so, but I think we do have now, the Biden administration has released the first ever national strategy to counter domestic extremism, um, domestic terrorism. You know, we have uh, the new threat assessment from the Department of Homeland Security. We do have gradually, I think now, uh, the attention of counterterrorism and counterextremism authorities. And hopefully that will follow with some implementation that will really start to turn this around. Dr. Mila Indris from American University, the director of the Polarization and Extremism Research Innovation Lab, as well as the director of the Research Center for University Excellence. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on Local News Live. You're active on social media. Uh, but where can people kind of find your work better and just kind of get in touch with all your great ideas? Thanks. Um, they can find me on Twitter at Miller Idris, all one word. Uh, and they can also find us at our research lab, which is american.edu backslash peril, P-E-R-I-L. We have resources there for parents, for mental health counselors, for coaches, even uh, to help people recognize teachers, to recognize signs uh, of extremism and have some strategies to intervene. So people are welcome to go download those free resources and uh, reach out if they need any help and we'll 